The Stewardship of Command Managing in Turbulent Times for the Manager Who Manages Managers This is Book 2 of the Stewardship of Management series by Lawrence Wade Johnson Preface The Stewardship of Command Managing in Turbulent Times introduces the saga of the USS Warren Lynn Card DE-383 as the vehicle for illustrating the executive principles covered in the book. In the first book, the case study began when Robert Mills was appointed to command a very dysfunctional organization, and now he brought it up to combat readiness. This second book continues where the first book ended. The crew of the card takes the ship to the U.S. naval base in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, to participate in combat readiness exercises. During this cruise, the ship and the crew experience not only the rigors of a very realistic combat training exercise, they also experience an onslaught of dangerous do-or-die situations that test their mettle as managers and maritime professionals. The experiences of the crew are compared with the turbulent times faced by commercial and industrial organizations in the private sector. Like the first book, the author provides expert advice and management axioms for handling those difficult situations drawn from his 40-plus years serving in the executive function and as a professional consultant to management. In the first book, we were introduced to Lieutenant John Winthrop, who was assigned to the card in March of last year to serve as officer in charge. The first book also introduced us to Lieutenant Mike Friedel, was replaced by Don Falk, Lieutenant USN, who serves as the engineering officer. Mr. Falk is a tin-can sailor who has made a name for himself as the one who knows more about Edsel Buckley and Cannon-class destroyer escort engine rooms than any other officer currently serving. He entered 15 years ago after graduating from Tennessee Technical College with a degree in engineering, emphasis on diesel power systems. He went directly to shipboard duty and has served on three ships in the fleet and has been sent to several DEs experiencing engine room problems. The first book introduced us also to Phyllis Grubal, Lieutenant USN, and Marshal Goldsmith, Ensign USN. We are now introduced to Lance Alexander, Ensign, Limited Duty Officer, USN. After conferring with Commander McCormick, the ship's executive officer, the captain decided he needed to replace Mr. Cavatini, the ship's communication officer. Mr. Alexander was recruited during his last month of limited duty officer school by Mr. Goldsmith, the ship's personnel officer. Mr. Alexander was invited to participate in the CARG's dependence cruise and arrived on board officially on 1 June as communication officer. At the first book, we also were introduced to O'Neill Williams YN1, Yeoman First Class E6. His name is Orenthal Neil Williams, but he goes by O'Neill, O apostrophe N E A L. Williams handles the administrative office. We also were introduced to Chief Gruber, Senior Chief Petty Officer, USN, an old salt who knows the engine room of destroyers in general, and after three years on the card, he is the primary element in keeping the card on station. His efforts have been thwarted over the past two years because of the change in the organization's officer corps. And Radarman 1, Rex Jaworski, he was recruited on the suggestion of Yeoman William, who knew him from an earlier duty station. On board also is Chief Leon Jaquette, the ship's master chief in charge of the galley and mess deck operations. Reserve officers, Mike McCormick, Lieutenant Commander, USNR, the executive officer. 
Then Lieutenant Georgia Sterling. Miss Sterling is a highly skilled electronics engineer. Frank Hooper, Lieutenant Junior Grade, USNR. Nick Winchester, Ensign, USNR. Lieutenant Junior Grade Foster Gilliam, the deck officer with reserve forces at Philadelphia Navy Yard. He was assigned to the USS Granger. The Granger has a full billet for the Guantanamo combat exercise, so Comrades Desdiv assigned him to the USS Card for the Guantanamo combat readiness exercise. While visiting the Card in March, he was teased about being stuck on the carp for the summer cruise. His response to the tease was this statement. The reputation of any organization is created by the crew that mans her. If you want a ship with a good reputation, then you must provide the level of commitment and competence that will result in that level of honor. I am proud to have the opportunity to serve on the card, and I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I will give this old girl my best efforts in an attempt to give her a proud reputation. If you'll do the same, you may go to Gitmo in disgrace but we will return in glory. Chapter 1 Managing the Culture, Tradition, and Structure in Turbulent Times The USS Card, as on any organizations, culture is not constant. Values and norms change as events affect the population involved. These shifts in values may precede or accompany political shifts, such as a significant change at the senior management level as they will bring in their own values and visions, or a major change in the status or position of the organization in the marketplace. The officers and crew of the car did not realize they were experiencing turbulent times. They did not realize the organization's culture had developed to what Clayton Christensen and Thomas Davenport of the Harvard Business Review calls an accidental culture. Accidental culture, they say, is caused by the inaction or incorrect actions consequential to the poor decisions by the organization's leaders. While they were dissatisfied with the way things were, the officers and crew were comfortable with the existing culture, which made very few demands on them, dissuading them from examining their status, which would indicate a need for change. While Commander Mills had extensive experience in saving lost causes, changing this accidental culture to a deliberate culture would be a daunting task. After doing his homework, he knew going in would be the most difficult project he would ever undertake. The USS Card's organizational culture did not change when Captain Gallagher began. It changed before he took command. It began to change when the conditions required them to miss weekend drills and see an annual combat readiness exercises. Training took a big hit also since they were not able to do simulations in underway conditions with any semblance of fealty. The CARD's organizational structure was adjusted to accommodate its peer-bound condition when certain officer billets and enlisted billets were discontinued. Organizational structure greatly influences the culture because behavior is not random and is directed by some degree of formalization toward a goal, and the decision made concerning structure contributed to the change in culture. Captain Gallagher's decision to allow Mr. Winthrop to exercise his discretion with regard to the CARD's condition and Lieutenant Commander McCormick's acquiescence simply contributed to the change in culture. The culture deteriorated into lethargy after a while, and the executive team contributed to its downward spiral by not holding itself and the crew to proper naval discipline and competence. What was worse, he had a reputation for being a kingmaker, 
Consequently, the Winthrop Naval Dynasty relied on Footsellers Gallagher to do for the next generation of Winthrops what he had done for so many other Naval Academy protégés. But instead of passing on his great wisdom, leadership, and command philosophies, he allowed Mr. Winthrop to develop his own based on what he observed at the feet of the legendary naval guru. Combine that with the serpent advice from Lieutenant Fridell, absence of any demonstrated experience from Lieutenant Commander McCormick, and the entire officer-in-charge program had been a detriment to the USS Card as an entity and to the officers and crew that manned her. In Book 1, we witnessed the navigator Lieutenant John Winthrop had been a thorn in the captain's side from the time he came on board. He was belligerent, independent, and bordered on being disrespectful, but at least he had the good sense to refrain from being insubordinate. He had an unrealistic perception of leadership and management and command that was handed down from his previous commander, who had abdicated the command mantle and given it to one whom he knew would make his few remaining years comfortable without any real challenges. Mr. Winthrop's influence over the officers and crew of the card was extinguished when he challenged the captain's decision to take the auxiliary channel out to sea. Instead of waiting for the main channel to be cleared, his argument was that the auxiliary channel was too shallow and the card would run aground. The captain had discovered the auxiliary channel had been dredged earlier in the year and Mr. Winthrop was not aware of it. Realizing his career could be in the toilet, he subordinated himself to the captain, and the captain chose not to relieve him. Captain Mills recognized the importance of changing the culture on the card. It was the current culture that has hampering executive operations, changing norms, roles, and values that are deeply entrenched in the organization's culture is a difficult and in many cases impossible venture. Captain Mills must bring the entity and the ship's company back to the traditions and norms it enjoyed before it was allowed to deteriorate. He began that process his first visit when he changed the uniform of the quarterdeck watch. Getting the ship into combat shape is only one of the captain's main objectives. He determined this project would need five phases. Phase one, an organizational assessment conducted by the officers in their own areas of responsibility and comparing the current status to Navy expectations. Phase two, developing a program to correct the discrepancies. Phase three, developing a management team capable of undertaking the activities necessary to bring the ship up to combat readiness and test that readiness in combat readiness exercises in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Phase 4. Develop a comprehensive set of plans for handling contingencies for what Captain Mills called turbulent times. And Phase 5. Develop strategies and tactics for the Gitmo exercise. All of this in six months. In tandem was the imperative that he get the ship underway. He must get production out. The ship had lain idle too long. He must direct their attention to the task at hand. A lethargic organization does not usually realize the condition they are in until they are called on to produce to a higher standard. When the crew attempts to get the ship underway, they will discover the deplorable state that they are in. Only then can the captain begin to make corrections that will bring them to combat readiness. The card's crew may need to experience failure before they begin to move toward success. For the card, 
or any organization to be effective, to grow, or to survive at all, it must fulfill some useful function. The common goals set forth by the founders of the organization must result in some product or service which is useful and holds a certain sense of pride to those in the organization and is desired by others outside the organization. Captain Mills was more of a father figure to them at the beginning. He was their captain, not just their chief executive. He constantly reminded them of his vision for the ship and the officers and the crew. He continually reaffirmed it and asserted it until each officer and enlisted bought into it and committed to it. They had to accept and implement the plans that would crystallize the vision and make it their own wholeheartedly. He brought them to a point of no return. They had come to grips with their own weaknesses. Like a personal athletic trainer, he provided the means to strengthen themselves for greater tasks, tasks that provided evidence of can-do. Once they gained that confidence in themselves and in their shipmates and the ship itself, they were ready to make the decisions and make the action necessary for performance. Now they are ready for the ultimate test, the combat readiness exercise in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Turbulence of any kind can disrupt the organization's culture and interfere with its ability to meet its objectives and obligations, not to mention the adverse effects of those who are employed by it. Abraham Lincoln said in February 17, 1864, Some single mind must be master, else there will be no agreement in anything. A genuine desire for the success of one's subordinates inspires their desire to perform at a level that will please the boss and removes fear that hampers innovation. In turbulent times, it is that desire to use one's competence that will sustain the organization through these times.